dismiss our children this morning to Kids Church. This morning, uh, we are going to talk about the, the wishes and the wants of Israel. Israel wanted a king. Um, you've heard the saying, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it, right? Has anybody ever heard that saying, be careful what you wish for? because you just might get it. Well, today, we're going to be talking about Israel getting exactly what they wanted. Israel wanted a king, and that's exactly what Israel's going to get. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8. We're going to read all of 1 Samuel, chapter 8. Uh, and so we're going to, at, we're going to look, at, uh, look at the text this morning and see what it is that God would have to say to us. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. It says, It came about that when Samuel was old, he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, and they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the days that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods so that they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him of a king. And he said, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself and and his chariots among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, of fifties, and some to do his plowing and reap his harvest and make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. And he will take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers, And he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyard and give to his officers and his servants. And he will take and make servants of your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. And he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. And you will cry out in that day because the king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to Samuel, and they said, No, there shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. After Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, Lord, may we not only hear what your word has to say, 
about you and your character, but may we see what the Word of God reveals about us. Lord, may we see your truth. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. As we look at God's Word, God's Word often reveals truth about God's character. It tells us about His loving kindness. It tells us about His faithfulness. It tells us about God's sovereignty, His omnipotence. But the Bible also reveals something about us. As we look through Scripture and as we carefully observe the text, not only do we see God's character, not only do we see the the truth of Scripture as it reveals about who God is, but we see God's revelation about ourselves. We see in Jeremiah it says that, that the heart is above all else deceitful and wicked, and who can know it? We see that the Bible tells us but about ourselves. And this morning, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, it's my prayer that we will see ourselves and we will learn to trust God even when we don't get what we want. You know, we tell our kids, and we've heard the saying, be careful what you wish for, you may just get it. Uh, it's no secret that, that my wife loves the holidays. She begins holidaying about October and holidays from October all the way till about, uh, about Mardi Gras. Uh, you've been to my house. There, there have been times, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, there was a time in my house where, where the, uh, the Christmas village uh, stayed up in our nativity set uh, stayed up until Labor Day. Uh, now, 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 now. Part of that, part of that was not was not because my wife was celebrating the holidays and just because we were lazy and didn't put it up. But, but, but it was up till Labor Day, and she said, "I have got to take this stuff down because if I don't take this stuff down, I'm not going to want to put it up in a month." And so we took it down for a month and we put it back up. But we love the holidays, and part of the reasons why we love the holidays is because we love spending time with our family, and. At Thanksgiving, we spend the entire week with our family. Our, our, our family comes in from out of town, and, and we cook gumbo, and we cook jambalaya, and we, we cook turkey and roast, and we, we eat for, for the better part of a week and a half, and we eat way too much, but we spend time with our family. Well, this past Thanksgiving, this past Thanksgiving, uh, we had an interesting interaction with our youngest son. And, and you, you've all been there. You've all been over at, at family's house, and, 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 and the kids are asking you a million things. Can, can I do this? Can I have this? Can I, can I eat this cookie? Can I have this candy? And finally, you just say, do whatever you want. Just leave me alone. I, 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 don't, I don't care what you do. Go play. Go do whatever. Just, just leave me alone because I'm trying to enjoy this, this, this time with my family whom I haven't seen, uh, who's, who's in for, for just a short period of time. And so, so we told Nicholas. He said, he said, can I have a cookie? We said, yes. Can I have chips? Yes. Can I have crackers? We said, eat whatever you want. We don't care. Just, just go. And so you know, we got home late Thanksgiving, and, and Nicholas, about you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, he comes wandering into our bedroom. He said, I don't feel so good. And, and, and he, he said, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And then there it was, all over everything. And, 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 and we were terrified because we were like, you know, this is, this is our holidays and now our kid's sick. And then we, we, we figured out it was because he ate whatever he wanted to eat. And he probably ate 48 cookies 
and, and a whole bag of potato chips and didn't eat any real food all day long. But he got exactly what he wanted. The problem is, is at seven, he didn't know what he really wanted and what he really needed. All he knew was that cookies were more enjoyable to eat than turkey, that he would rather eat chips than he would eat cornbread dressing, and he would rather eat eat junk food than what was good for him. And that's where Israel was. That's where they wanted what they wanted, and they didn't care what God's Word said. Well, let's let's look, because I want us to contrast I want us to contrast chapter 7 with chapter 8. We just got done walking through chapter 7. And remember, we remember that Israel was in a place of complete desperation. Israel was in a place where where God had allowed them to suffer oppression under the hands of the Philistines. God had allowed the Philistines to come in. He allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken. He allowed Israel to to be utterly destroyed. And they were at the place of complete complete desperation and in that place of complete desperation what did they do they cried out to God and they they said Samuel will you not cease from crying out to God on our behalf will you continually cry out to God because we are utterly and completely desperate and in that state of desperation they cry out to God and God shows up and God thunders and 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 he in a mighty way confuses all of the Philistine army and the Israelites rout the Philistine army, and they drive them out of Israel. That's chapter 7. Chapter 8 gets here, and Israel says, Give us a king like everyone else. What has happened? They are no longer in a state of desperation. They are no longer in the bottom of the gutter. They are no longer homeless. They are no longer being staring at their enemies who are pursuing them on every on every front. They are no longer staring at the mortgage payment that they can't pay. They are no longer staring at the electricity bill that is overdue. They are no longer staring at, at, at the desperation in their life. And they cry out, give us a king like everybody else, like everybody else. On the other side of desperation, they don't seek a new heart. They seek a new method. They say, how can we prevent what has happened to us from happening again? I got it. Let's change, let's, let's, let's change not our hearts. Let's not have a, a, a moment of repentance and a moment of, of, of introspection where, where we realize that the reason we got in the position that we were in was because our heart was hardened towards God and we were sinful and we were, we were deceitful and we were wicked and we were an idolatrous people, but let us figure out some other method, some other mechanism in our own power so that we can prevent this. They didn't seek a new heart. They sought a new method. They didn't seek to be changed internally. They sought an outward mechanism by which they could provide their own security. In our pride and arrogance, we demand for God to deliver us, and then we want to tell him, to do it. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly what Israel did. They said, God, we have screwed up and we have placed ourselves in this situation and now the Philistines are coming in. You've got to save us. And he does. And then once he saves us, they say, okay, God, now 
Now, now that you've saved us, now that you have destroyed the Philistines, now that you've done all these things, now that you have showed up in a miraculous way, what I need you to do is I need you to do this and do this and do this and do this so that we will never be in the situation that we were in before. I'm so glad we don't do that. I'm so glad that we don't cry out for God to save us, cry out for God to move and and intercede in our lives and then tell him how to intercede in our lives. God, I can't pay my bills. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. God, I don't know, I don't know how I got in this mess, but, but, but I need you to, to fix it. And then God does, and then we begin to tell God how to fix it after he has already moved and interceded in our lives. You know, it's interesting. That's exactly what Israel did in John chapter 19. Israel desired a Savior. They knew that God was sending a Messiah. God had promised them over and over and over again through prophecy after prophecy that I will send a Messiah and that he will save you from your people. He will save you from your sins. He will save you from your oppressors. He will deliver you. And then what did Israel say? They said, we want a Savior. We want a Messiah that looks the way we want our Messiah to look. God sent them Jesus, and they said, no, we don't want that Messiah. We don't want that king. We don't want him to rule over us. We don't want our Messiah to be a suffering servant. We don't want our Messiah to be a peasant from Nazareth. We want our Messiah to be a king. We want our Messiah to be royal. We want our Messiah to be someone who is a great warrior, somebody who is a military genius. The high priest said this in John chapter 19, verse 15. As he was making his accusations to Pilate against Jesus, he said, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And listen to what the priest said. The high priest, he said this. He said, we have no king but Caesar. He said, this is not our king. They cried out for a Messiah. God gave them a Messiah, and they said, yeah, but not this one. amazing fast forward thousands and thousands of years and israel does the exact same thing over and over and over again god save us deliver us god delivers them he said i will be your god you be my people and they said no uh we don't want you to be our king we want this other guy to be our king give us a king like all the other nations and we do the same thing we say god deliver us god save us and then we begin to to give God instructions on how he is to save us, how he is to to deliver us. Israel wanted a Messiah, but not Jesus. I believe that we want a Savior. We want a Messiah. But we want one after our own liking, not after God's. I want to point out something. Go back to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. Many of us read this passage, and you've heard many pastors teach and preach that Israel's sin was that they desired a king, and God wanted to be their king. That Israel had always designed to be, Israel was always designed to be a theocracy, that God was intended to rule over them, and as they pleaded for God to give them a king, that they were in their rebellion and in their pride that they were crying out for a man-made ruler. 
Well, I want to submit to you that the sin that Israel engaged in was not in asking for a king. In fact, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 17, after Moses had had led the nation of Israel, after he had delivered them from from the Egyptians, there was given to him in in Deuteronomy chapter 17, there was given to him instructions in in verses 14 through 20 that says, when you enter the land, you will possess it and live in it, and I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. But then he begins to give instructions. He shall, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. From among your countrymen, he will not be a foreigner. If you go down and read verse 16, he will not multiply horses for himself. He will not, have, he will not be like the kings of that age. He will not be wealthy. He will not be a, a, a man of, of royal blood, but he will be one whom God chooses. If you look at verse 18, that he will sit upon his throne and his kingdom, and he shall write for himself a copy of the law, and, he, and, and, and on a scroll, and in the presence of the Levitical priest, and, he, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. And so, so God had spoken through Moses and said, the king is not the problem. You can have a king so long as he is a godly king, so long as he honors the Lord, so long as he loves the Lord, so long as he serves the Lord, so long as he's not like all of the other kings. I intend you to be holy, to be different, to be set apart. And so the problem was not that Israel wanted a king. The problem was their motivation. The king that God desired would be different. Israel's sin wasn't their desire for a king. It was their motivation. Why? What was Israel seeking? Israel was seeking security. Israel was seeking comfort by their own means. They said, we don't want to trust the God of our deliverer. We want to be able to rest and to trust in this king. We want to be able to trust in this monarchy. We want to be able to rest in in our man-made comforts. They didn't want to rely upon God. They wanted to rely upon what this king could provide for them. Time and time again in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see them saying, give us a king like everyone else. Look at the text. Look at the text. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. And they said to him, behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Appoint for us a king to judge us. What? Like all the other nations. And after he warns them, he says, be careful what you ask for. If what you ask for happens, this is what it's going to be like. And they said to us in verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, there shall be a king over us, verse 20, that we may be like all the other nations. Why? So that our king may go out and battle battle for us. Now, what had they just experienced? Who had gone out and battled for them? Was it their king? No, it was God. God had gone out. God had battled for them. In Jericho, who had done their battle for them? Who had done their fighting for them? Was it not God? In the book of Judges, who had battled for Gideon? Was it not God? In the book of Judges, who had battled for Israel over and over and over again? Was it not God? In the book of Joshua, who had gone out to battle before Israel? Was it not God? But what are they 
what are they clamoring for? What are they begging for? They said, God, give us a king that he will battle for us. Do you see the difference? They are wanting to place their faith and their trust and their security, not in God, but in a man, in a, in, in, in a mechanism that they create. Not in something that they have no control over. We like control, don't we? And every mom said yes. And every husband said yes. We like control. We like to be in control of our family. We like to be in control of our finances. We like to be in control of our children. We like to be in control. Whenever we're not in control, it, it, it frightens us. It creates fear. Whenever we have to relinquish control and ask and place our trust and our faith in someone or something that is beyond us, it's very difficult. Israel wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to be able to trust something that they could see, that they could touch, that they could feel. But they weren't like everyone else. Why? Because they served a God that was not like anyone else. They served a God that was not like any other God. They served a God who could part the Red Sea. They served a God could destroy an entire city with a spoken word. They served a God who could take a shepherd boy and slay a giant. They served a God who could speak the entire world into existence. They served a God who was greater than anyone or anything. And Israel was never intended to be like everyone else, because their God was not like anything else. And church, we as his people are not designed to be like everyone else. Leviticus chapter 19, it tells us, it says that you are to be different because God is different. It says, speak to all the congregations of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, you shall be set apart, you shall be other. Why? Because the Lord your God is other, holy, different, unique. There is nothing similar about God. Therefore, there should be nothing similar about his people. We ought to live differently because we serve a God who is different. Let me ask you this. Do you want your lives to emulate that of your neighbors? Do you want your marriages to fall apart like everyone else? Do you want your children to rebel like everyone else? Do you want to struggle day in and day out for, to, to, make the, to make the bills and to make the payments? Do you want to live like everyone else or do you want to be completely other? I know for me, I don't want my marriage to look like my neighbor's marriages. I don't want my children to look like all the neighborhood kids. I don't want my life to look like everyone else's around me. I want my life to reflect that of the glory of the creator of the universe. Amen? I want my marriage to be a picture of the covenant of God and his people. 
not two people who are who are fighting all the time and and compromising just to just to just to survive. I don't want to live with a, a roommate. I want to have a covenant relationship with the woman that God has designed for me, and the only way for me to do that is to live differently, to love her differently, to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And the only way for that to happen is if I submit myself first and foremost, not to my wife, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want my children to look like everybody else. I want my teenagers to show me respect and honor. Not because I beat it into them, but because he sees me living a life of righteousness and integrity. And then he says, I want, when I grow up, I want to be like my dad because my dad loves Jesus. Guys, if we want to live like the world, then you know what? We can do what the world does. We can live with our girlfriends or boyfriends before marriage. We can, we can have sex before marriage. We can, we can you know, treat this, this covenant of marriage as, as if it's just a contract. We can, we can raise our children and give them everything they want. We can, we can talk harshly to our spouses. We can live like the world, and we will get the results of living like the world. But if we want to be different, we must live differently. Be holy, for I am holy. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to be like everyone else. I don't want to be like everyone else. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform be, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what, is, what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. I don't want to look like this world. Because this world is ugly. God tells Samuel, warn the people. Tell them, if you want to look like everybody else, this is what it's going to look like. Now, I want to point out to you, Samuel is not projecting an abusive kingship. If we go back and we read the text in 1 Samuel chapter 8, if you read verses 10 through 17, 10 through 18, Samuel is not saying, if you have a king rule over you, he will abuse you and destroy you. That's not what Samuel's describing. What Samuel is describing is a normal kingship. A normal monarchy. He's saying he's going to take something called taxes. And he's going to take your crops. And he's going to take your livestock. And he's going to take your servants. Not because he's abusive. Not because he's wicked. Not because he's, he's, he seeks to destroy you. But because he's got, he's got bills he's got to pay. If you want him to protect you, if you want him to develop an army, he's got to feed that army. He's got to clothe that army. He's got to build weapons for that army. And the only way for him to do that is to get the, the funds and the resources from his people. What Samuel describes in chapter 8 is a normal status quo of what it would take for Israel to have a monarchy. What we hear, what we hear over and over and over again from the world is that all we have to do is educate people. You want people to stop smoking? Just educate them. Well, let me ask you this. 
How's that working out? You know, in 1980-something, the United States declared a war on drugs. How many of y'all remember that? I, I, I believe Ronald Reagan was the president. He had, he had campaign after campaign, slogan after slogan. We were going to have a war on drugs, and, 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 we were gonna, and, and the key to this war on drugs was going to be what? It was going to be education. That we're going to we're going to start all these programs in grade school, and we're going to have 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 programs and educational uh, 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 symposiums, and we're going to teach the children the the ills and the pitfalls of drugs. And and once they know how harmful it is, they won't do it, right? How'd that work out? Let me ask you this: Are we winning? No, because here's the here's Here's something that the scripture teaches us, guys, is that an education, an education does not prevent sin. An education does not eradicate sin. An education informs, but an education can't transform. An education informs us of what will happen, and you know what happens whenever we tell, you tell people what's going to happen, they say, okay, thanks, I'm going to do what I want anyway. Right? Why? Because we're sinners. We don't sin because of ignorance most of the time. Scripture tells us we sin because that which is inside of us draws us towards sin. We're sinners. And because we are sinners, we choose to do that which is wrong. Because we are, chin- because we are sinners, we choose to steal. We choose to kill. We choose to lie. We choose to do that which, is, that which is wrong and that which is evil. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we're liars. You don't have to teach your children to lie. You don't have to send them to, to lying camp whenever they're three so that all of a sudden they'll, they'll learn how to be liars and be deceitful. No, they come out of the womb like that. What you do have to do is you have to teach them not to lie. You have to teach them to be honest and to be truthful. And sometimes you do have to beat that out of them. You have to teach them to do what is right because it is intrinsic within them to do what is wrong. Israel, Israel knew what was going to happen. Samuel said, you do this, this is what's going to happen. And they say, okay, thanks for telling us. Guess what? We're going to do it anyway. An education is important. And we need to teach children and we need to warn them it is so much more important that we pray for them. That we pray that the Holy Spirit would intervene. That we pray that God in His great grace and in His great might and in His great omnipotence, that He would send His Holy Spirit to intervene in the lives of our loved ones. Because we can educate them till we're blue in the face. And unless the Holy Spirit shows up, all we've done is educate. All we've done is inform. We need the Holy Spirit to transform. Because only God can change the heart. I can sit down with my kids and I can tell them about the gospel and I can tell them that Jesus died on the cross and that he paid for their sin and that he lived 
He lived to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, and he died to take away their sin, and he rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave, and all they have to do is to trust him, and they can know that cognitively. They can know it in their brain all day long, but until the Holy Spirit does a work in their heart, nothing changes. An education only informs. Only the Holy Spirit can transform. Proverbs tells us this. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. He said this. He said, the way of a fool is right where? In his own eyes. Even though he knows the good he ought to do, he doesn't do it. James says this, he who knows the good he ought to do and doeth it not to him it is sin. The fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is one who listens to counsel. Sometimes, sometimes God's mercies are revealed by his refusal to answer our prayers and our desires. Sometimes in his denial, he is forced to have a heart change. And so I want to challenge you with this, church. The next time you really want something, someone, something to happen in your life, and it doesn't, stop and ask yourself, is it possible that it's God's grace that I'm being shown by his refusal? Is it possible that the God that I serve, the scripture tells me that God is good and he does good. And is it possible that in God's grace, he's choosing to not give me my king? Is it possible that even though I want this with everything that I want and I want to be like everyone else and I want to have this and I want to want to accomplish this, is it possible that because God is good and because he does good and because his loving kindness extends for generation to generation to generation and God is rich in mercy and he is abounding in loving kindness and judgment is his strange work, because of who God is and because I know who God is, is it possible that whenever God doesn't give me this or I don't get what I want, that it's not God's mercy and God's grace by his refusal? And maybe, maybe what needs to happen is a heart change in me. Maybe I need to reevaluate what I want. Maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to go back to chapter 7, to that place of desperation where I cry out for God to move in my life. Let's pray. God, may we reflect on our lives. Sometimes your word reveals to us who you are. Sometimes your word reveals to us who we are. God, this morning, I believe your word has revealed something of our own heart. That oftentimes we would rather be like this world than be like you. More often than not, we want to be like everyone around us 
you've called us to be your people. Lord, it's our desire that we trust you. That we trust you even when we don't get what we want. That we realize that sometimes in your great grace that you withhold from us in order that we may be the recipients of your goodness and grace. Maybe this morning you've realized that that maybe God has withheld things from you because he loves you. Maybe you realize that God has not granted you your king. Not because he wants to withhold blessings from you, but because he wants to withhold that which would destroy you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and ask God to change your heart, to change your desires. Maybe you're going through a difficult time and you just need someone to come and pray with you. Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Christ. You need to quit trying to find a new method to fix your life and you need to give your life to Jesus as you make this decision. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, may today be the day of forgiveness. Maybe God is calling you to become a part of what we're doing here at Redeemer lifting up Jesus, living in obedience and loving the world. Maybe God's called you to be obedient by being baptized. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart this morning, may you follow in obedience. We pray this morning that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would have his freedom in this place. In Christ's name we pray.